Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the epistle of 1 John. That's 1 John chapter 4. We'd like to read responsibly this morning the last six verses of the chapter, beginning in verse number 16 through verse number 21. Allow me to read the three even-numbered verses. That's verses 16, 18, and 20. Would you please read with me in unison verses 17, 19, and 21? Once more, that's 1 John chapter 4. Verses 16 through 21, and reading responsibly. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, I pray that you might take your eternal word, speak to Christian hearts this morning. Lord, have your will and way in our midst. We thank you for this love that's of God. Love is of God. Lord, I pray for those that may be here not knowing Christ as their Savior. Spirit of God, do the work that only you can do in their heart and life, we pray. Speak to every heart, we ask, and we'll be sure to praise you for what you're going to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 1 John chapter 4, for you that are new uh, or just coming in this morning or have been here just a couple of times, this is our 28th message, verse-by-verse expository exposition of this epistle of 1 John, this letter of 1 John, one of the last books of the Bible to be written. John's hymn of love is parallel with Paul's hymn of love, of course, from 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. John's hymn of love begins in chapter 4, verse number 7, and goes to chapter 5, verse number 5. This is, our again, our 28th message, our fourth from this chapter. We preached from chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, several weeks ago, a message entitled, I Know I Am Not to Believe Every Spirit. The Bible says, brethren, try the spirits, we're not to believe every spirit, but try the spirits whether they be of God. Not everything that's supernatural is from God. Then we preached a message from verses 4 to 6 of this chapter, I Know I Am Born Again to Win, and We Are More Than Conquerors Through Him That Loved Us. Then we began the love section of this chapter here, again, starting in verse number 7 through verse 14. We preach a message entitled, I Know God's Love Lifted Me. And then, of course, last week we looked at the message from this almost same portion of Scripture that we're at. In fact, verse 17 was our text verse, the first half of it. I know no fear in the day of judgment. I know no fear in the day of judgment. Now, this is written to Christians And our text was verse 17 again, the first half of the verse. Notice it with me, please. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. 
And it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. There's a judgment for the believer. There's a judgment for the unbelievers. There's a judgment for the saved, in other words, and the judgment for the lost. And we spoke about that, how we can have boldness in the day of judgment. But I, so I was reading this passage of scripture. I could not get by past verse 17 without expounding a bit further this morning on an incredible phrase. I want you to notice the last half of the verse. It says that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, verse 17, because as, follow me now, as he is, so are we in this world. Nine words, let's try to say them with me, please. Starting with the word as, ready? As he is, so are we in this world. One more time, please. As he is, so are we in this world. The in-your-face truth this morning, every message is started with an in-your-face, is an in-your-face book. And the in-your-face truth that I think we can see this morning from this passage of Scripture is, I know the out-of-this-world love, you say, where do you get that from, preacher? 1 John 3, verse 2, or in verse 1. Behold what manner of love, this out-of-this-world love, the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. The world does not know the love of God that passes understanding. The world cannot know this love because it's an agape love. It's a, world, it's a love from God. And this love is out of this world. It's a love like we've never experienced. Even as a child of God, we just proverbially scratch the tip of the iceberg of the love of God. And so this out of this world love that the world cannot receive and understand. This out of this world love back to the in your face truth. By the way, the word love is found over and over again in these six verses. is found 14 times. The word love. This out of this world love that God has for his children produces, now get it, an out of this world truth. An out of this world truth. Just as the world cannot comprehend the love of God that passes understanding, so the natural man cannot receive and understand this out of this world truth. In fact, I will go so far as to say that even this truth for a Christian is hard to comprehend. And here is the truth. Notice what it says, verse, verse 17. Nine words, all single monosyllable words, six two-letter words, 24 letters. Say this nine words together with me one more time, please. Ready? As he is, so are we in this world. Notice again. As he is, so are we in this world. Stop and consider that for a while. Ponder that. That may be, I think it's probably the most amazing nine-word phrase in all of the Bible. As he is, so are we in this world. Think about that. What's that mean? I think it means as he is, so are we in this world. I think it means what it says. But to comprehend that is almost unfathomable. And I want to look at this morning, this message in regards to these nine simple words with these one personal pronoun, one plural pronoun. I want you to consider this morning, first of all, notice if you would, as we begin this little phrase, as he. I want you to consider the he. 
of 1 John 4, 17. And take your Bible and turn maybe two pages in your Bible to Revelation chapter 1. And I want you to notice Revelation 1 and verse number 8. Now in the context, verse 8 is, must be read with verse 7. So just glance at verse 7. Behold, he cometh, verse 7 says, with clouds and every eye shall see him. Who's that talking about? Help me out, class. Jesus Christ. The Bible says, behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. That is the context of verse number 8. It's talking about Jesus. And so we read verse number 8. I am Alpha and Omega. That's the A and Z of, that's of the Greek alphabet. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, ending. Later on in the scriptures, it says the first and the last. Saith the Lord, now notice this, the Lord there is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, which is and which was and which is to come. Three tenses, the Almighty. Three, t- three times periods of time, which was and is and is to come, the past, the present, and the future. Notice with me this, this he of 1 John four seventeen again. First of all, consider the is, back to our text, as he is. Think of God's infinite son this morning. God's infinite son. You know, if you believe the evolutionary, I'm not trying to be harsh, I believe it's a lie. I know it's a lie. Then the earth is millions of years old. The, the, I would make the mountains at least millions of years old, but I believe they're only several thousand years old. And God created this earth just several thousand years ago, and he created a flood several, several thousand years ago, and he wiped out the earth, and he broke up the, 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 uh, the, the, under the, the, the earth, and mountains were formed. But the Bible says in Psalm 90, verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, Wherever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. I want you to consider the he is this morning. He's the infinite, God's infinite son. He's always been. We just sang the song on purpose. Yesterday, today, forever. Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. Years ago, I went down to the Jewish synagogue in Torrington and had a nice visit with the rabbi. There were reformed Jewish uh, congregation there. They were very polite, but I showed them Isaiah 9, 6. I asked them to read this, and please interpret to me what it means. The Bible says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. These words were penned 740 years before Jesus Christ came to this earth. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called, do you know it by the chance? Can you help me out? His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's called the Mighty God, not a Mighty God, the Mighty God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength. The Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. I'm looking for my oldest daughter. I don't, oh, she's not here. She's in Pennsylvania this morning. It just dawned on me. My 32-year-old daughter is in, in Pennsylvania. How long have I been a father? You got to figure it out? 32 years. Now, I've only been a father for 32 years. Jesus or Jehovah God is called the everlasting father. You're only an everlasting father as long as you've had an everlasting son. Jesus Christ has always been. There is no time with God. You see, he's the infinite son. 
He's the eternal one. There's never been a time when he has not been. He's uncreated. When the Bible uses the word first begotten, it's the word monogenesis in the Greek language. Mono, one. Genesis, original. One and only original. The prototokos, the, the one before all. This monogenesis, this, this one that's always been, this uncreated, self-existing one, this eternal one. He's always been God, this, the is of First John 4, and he is. He's God's infinite son. But then, back to Revelation 1, 8, you need not turn there, but the Bible says, which what, or is and was. I want you to consider the incarnate son of God for a moment, the, the God that was made flesh. John's gospel says, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and help me out. And the word was God. If we were to turn there, we'd find out that the word is capital W. Because in verse 14, the Bible says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now we have received grace and truth, we that are children of God, but he is full of grace and truth. He's the originator of grace and truth. So it's always been with him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. We have the incarnate Son. And I want you to consider 2,018 years ago and go back to this incarnate Son. Now, I love this mystery of the Bible, and there's so many mysteries of the Bible. The Bible says that God became flesh. That's a mystery. Yes, it is. We call it the theanthropic union in the Greek language. Theos, we get our word Greek from. Anthropos is our word for man. The God-man union. The Bible tells us that God became man, a mystery of mysteries, became a babe, born of the Virgin Mary, born from the Spirit of God. Now I want you to know that when he, when he was, for those years that he came out of his earth there, he, he came into, he learned submission. Think about that. Luke chapter 2, verse 51 the Bible says that he came from Nazareth, his Mary and his stepfather Joseph, and he was subject unto them. Jesus, the, the master, the lawgiver, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, subjected himself to those lower than him and they, those that he created, his own earthly mother and his own stepfather. He subjected himself to their leadership in their life and you know, sometimes people say, well, I don't need to subject myself to somebody that's inferior to me in intellect or power or position or what have you. You know, your boss at work, you say, preacher, if you knew my boss, you'd say you'd just a hard time submitting to he or she. I know way more than they know. That's not the point. The point is God has called us to submission. And we learn it from our heavenly, from our, our, our Savior himself. He learned submission. But while he was on earth, the... Great I am, the Almighty. He learned of seduction. He never seduced, but he learned of seduction. He learned of temptation. In Mark chapter 1, the Bible says that Jesus, immediately he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And there he was tempted in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights of Satan. And he was with the wild beast. He didn't eat or drink for 40 days. And Satan tempted him. And he understood he 
The Bible says he was tempted in all points such as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted, and yet he never succumbed to that temptation, and he always fought temptation. How did he fight temptation? Do you know, class, do you know the story of the, in Matthew and Mark and Luke where it talks about the, the, the wilderness temptation? He always fought Satan with how? With what? The word of God. He quoted the word of God, thus saith the Lord. And so he learned of seduction. He learned of temptation. He learned of submission. But then he learned of succuring. And I know that's an English word we don't use much. Succuring. It is the word S-U-C-C-O-R-I-N-G. This word succuring, it's found in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. It says these words. Wherefore in all things it behooved him. It was profitable for him to be made like unto his brethren. He's our kinsman redeemer. He came and he took upon himself a robe of flesh. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. He understands you that are my age and older or maybe a little younger, you remember a president that used to use the line or was, became famous for this line, I feel your pain. Jesus came to this earth and he felt pain. He, knows, he knew what it was like to get tired. He knew what it was like to have a stress load. I think he was a carpenter for 18 years till the age of 30. Incidentally, by the way, don't, don't, don't minimize work. God puts a premium on work. He, he sent his son to this earth in six-sevenths of his earthly life from 12 years age to 33 spent in the carpenter's shop. Three years of public ministry. Don't downplay good old-fashioned work. God ordained it. And so he, he knew about, he learned of suckering. He learned how to comfort one another with the same comfort wherewith he was comforted. He learned of seduction. He learned of submission. Though he was of... 1 John 4, 4, 17. But then he learned of suffering and death. None of us in this room experientially know death only by vicariously through other people that have died before us. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Why? For the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death. For every man, for it became him or behooved him for whom all are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Christ was the perfect suffering or he suffered perfectly on that cross. He, he suffered without, without any uh, sin. He suffered without any uh, uh, desire to get even to level the playing field, to even the score. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set them free. But he died alone on that cross for you and for me, the song says. You see, he learned of suffering and even death. He learned of succoring and comfort. He learned what it was like to be, to be tempted and be seduced, but he didn't succumb. He learned of submission. Fifthly, most importantly, he came and he learned experientially, vicariously, personally, he learned of substitution. The Savior became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Another mystery of all mysteries. 
I can't explain it. I've been preaching it for 30 plus years, but I can't explain it. He became my sin. Explain that. He died in my stead. Explain that. The song says, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's son, took my place. I like the song, but even if I would have been crucified, I couldn't have paid for my own sin because I'm guilty. The guiltless one paid for us guilty once. You see, he was the true substitute. Juan, our veterans, in two weeks from now. Obviously, they're all alive. They all survived the wars that they were in. But many of their friends and comrades paid the ultimate price. They were willing to pay the ultimate price for our sins, or for, for our, our freedom. Jesus paid the ultimate price for not only our freedom, but for our deliverance from bondage, from our slavery, from our, our penalty, sins penalty of death and hell. And so the he of First John 4.17, as he is, we see him as he is as God's infinite son. Then we see him as he was for 33 years on this earth as God's incarnate son. But then, as Revelation 1.8 reminds us, which was and is and is to come, I want you to consider the Jesus of the will be, or he, as he will be. That's God's invincible son. Jesus doesn't need defending. He can do, he defend himself quite easily. But I do get grieved as a child of God and as a lover of Christ to know how many millions of times every day the name of Jesus is blasphemed among the Gentiles and blasphemed among uh, those that know not Christ as Savior. His name is mocked. He's belittled in Hollywood. He's belittled in the media. He's belittled at the workplace. He's belittled at the school. And sadly, he's belittled in the house and sometimes in our lives. He's the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. He came to be, he came with love. He came as a babe in the manger. But the next time he comes, he comes as God's invincible son, the God that will come. The Christ that will come, Matthew 24 and verse 30 says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. By the way, I believe that's in reference to Israel. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. When he comes the second time, he came the first time as the Lamb of God. He'll come the second time as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He'll come as a, with a, a, a power and great glory. Oh, I look forward to the day that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. And that day, when the judgment of his wrath, as we touched on last week, he will come and he will, the Bible says, they'll cry for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them. There will be no blaspheming in those days. The Bible says, whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there's found no place for them. God's invincible son. And so who is the, as he is, of 1 John four seventeen? Well, he is the, Incarnate Son, or the, rather the, the God's infinite Son, God's incarnate Son, and God's invincible Son, which was and is and is to come, the Almighty. But look at the second pronoun, plural pronoun here. In the second half or second phrase of this nine-word monosyllable phrase, as he is, 
so are we. Consider for just a few moments this morning the we of 1 John 4, 17. So are we. Maybe as kind as I can say when I say this, but the we there is talking in the context of exclusively of God's children, of Christians, those that have been saved, those that are born again. It's not talking about those that have not been saved or it's not talking about the lost. But the we, we see three time periods with, with the we. First of all, as was or as we were. But let me use some bad grammar. As, as we was before salvation. Christian, there was a day in Genesis chapter 3 when our forefathers, our parents, were in the garden and it was a perfect place. And Eve took that fruit and most, I don't need to turn there, most all of you can know the story at least. In John 3 and verse 6, the woman saw the tree was good for, for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The fruit was, was good. She took of it and she gave it to her husband Adam and he did eat. The Bible goes on to say, and they saw that they were naked, and they ran, they hid themselves, they made themselves aprons of fig, fig leaves. And then they heard the voice of the Lord God walking, the Bible says, in the cool of the garden. And he walks with me, and he talks with me. And God was walking in the garden. And the Bible says, and Adam and Eve, and I doesn't use the word ran, but I believe they ran and they hid themselves from God. And the Lord said, Adam, where art thou? And Adam said these words. He said, where art, or God said, where art thou? And he said, I, am, I heard the voice, thy voice in the garden, and, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Who was every Christian before salvation? And I remind every Christian here that before you were a Christian, you were lost. No one ever gets saved until they're lost. No one's ever found until they realize that they need a savior. This, we were sinning. We were sinning regularly, volitionally, willfully, from birth. The wicked go straight from the womb as soon as they be born, speaking lies. As was Adam and Eve, they ran, they sowed fig leaves and to hide their shame, to hide their sin, to hide their nakedness. Can I say that all that was is a form of religion? Let me hide myself behind my good works, my works righteousness. Let me hide and make, a, make something acceptable to God. We're sinning, conniving, and then we're running. The Bible says, no man seeketh after God. We all are running away from God. And then we're hiding, hiding from God. You see, the Bible describes the estate of the unsaved person as a child of disobedience, which we all were, every child of God. Dead in trespasses and sins, perishing, condemned, as John 3 says, already, under the wrath of God, Jesus said these words. 2 Corinthians 4, we're blind by the God small g of this world. We love, we're lovers of spiritual darkness. We love darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil. Disobedient to God. There is the brotherhood of man, but there is not the brotherhood of God. We must be born into his family. You don't just, are not birthed with a physical birth into his family. There must be a spiritual birth. And so every Christian, before they were a Christian, 
he or she was lost. As he is, so the Bible says, are we. And so I want you to consider, secondly, the second phase of who the we is there. So are, as, as we are after salvation, who are we now? I have to turn a page in my Bible back to chapter 3. Look at verse 2 once more, please. This is amazing. I've already quoted at the beginning of the message, verse number 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. But verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now are we the sons of God. Romans chapter 6, or Romans chapter 8, excuse me, verse 16. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness to our spirit that we are the children of God. We are the children of God. We are the sons of God. We have been born again. Romans chapter 8, verses 29 to 31 really drives it right home. Now, we know, most of us know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you probably memorized Romans 8, 28. Can you try that with me? And we know, help me out, please. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We know verse 28, we usually end there. But verse 29 says this, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. In whom he called, them he also justified. In whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who are we now, Christian? Well, I'll tell you who we are. We are not afraid. It's the context back to First John 4 tells us. We're not afraid, first of all, of our, of our past. Okay, go ahead and be honest and impugn yourself. How many here have something that you've done in your past that you're ashamed of? Where's the rest of you? We're all ashamed of something we've done, and in the case we've been told, we're all ashamed of numerous things we've done. Guilty as charged. We all have skeletons in the closet. We all have things we're not ashamed of, or that we are ashamed of, rather. But there is now, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us here in our text, in verse 19, and Lord willing, we'll look at it more in detail next week. The reason why we are not afraid of our past is because he first loved us. Not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. He loved us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He didn't love us because we were good. He loved us even though we were bad. Even our past. God loved you, Christian. All those past things that the devil accuses you of night and day before the throne of God. That you were guilty of. And I've been guilty of. My past is covered in God's sea of forgetfulness, his sea of love of, of this past. He first loved me even though he knew me, yet he loved me. But we are not afraid not only of, our, of the past because he first loved us, but we're not afraid of our present because perfect love, verse number 18, casteth out fear. Because fear has torment. And God is love. 
And in him there's no darkness at all, no, no fear at all. God loves his children. We are not afraid of our present. And as we preached on last week, we are not afraid of our future. Because we, that we may have confidence, verse 17, in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world, our future. You see, Romans 8, 15, once again, says these words. I love this verse. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I've, I don't know how you addressed your dad. Well, I, I just did that naturally. My dad was never father. I don't know if I ever really called him father. I don't ever recall ever doing that. I probably did one, I suppose a handful of times. I don't remember. But when I was addressing him to other people, he was my father. But when I was addressing him to his face, he was my dad. Now, when I was a little boy, he was my daddy. We have a heavenly father. He's our daddy. And so as he is, this infinite God's this God infinite Son, this incarnate Son, this invincible Son, as He is presently coming in power and great glory, so are we, so am I. As I was before my salvation, He loved me even though He knew me. Uh, after my salvation, I'm His. I don't have to be afraid of my past, my present, my future. He's my daddy. And then think with me for a while, and all we can do is speculate and muse. What, as we think of that word we, as we shall be. And now behold, are we now are the sons of God, 1 John 3, 2. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. That's glorification. Last night we were at uh, the Grace Baptist Church in Windsor, and a pastor acquaintance of mine, I can't say a friend because... He is a friend, but I've only met him about three or four times. I've known of him for many years, Pastor Kirk DeVitro. He's an older gentleman now, and he's not with one cane or one walker. He had two walkers, and he's not trying to be mean or fresh, or, but he almost made me look like I was in shape. And he made fun of, he made reference to his physical appearance and his body has been broken. And he referenced the fact that this corruptible, 1 Corinthians 15, this corruptible, the older you get, young people, if you're younger, if you're in shape, don't worry, your day's coming too, I promise you. <laughs> but this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Right now, things are getting pretty rough. No longer do I ever feel like Superman anymore. <laughs> I feel like, Lord, help me, like all the time. Get me out of bed. Help me, help me have some energy, some vigor, some vim. But you see, Romans 8.23 says this wonderful verse that is so true, and it becomes more true to me personally the older I get. Romans 8.23, and not only they, but, we, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it, or that is, the redemption of our body. 
I'm waiting for the adoption. I'm waiting for that redemption. John Flager was born on March 18th, 1945 in Los Angeles to Irene Flager, born in 1916, a 30-year-old unmarried mother from Kentucky. She became pregnant, of course, out of wedlock through a relationship with John Bergholzer, a U.S. Army corporal of German background. When John was a little boy, he was adopted shortly thereafter by a couple named Ronnie and Jane. John would later uh, go through a series of very hard heartaches. In fact, for the first 40 years of his life, they were pretty hard because he was sent off with his new adopted parents, sent off to a boarding school in Scottsdale, Arizona. He did go to college. He, was, he went to two colleges, Arizona State University, as a matter of fact, for one semester. Went to another college, year and a half of total college. But back when he was a child, early on, Ronnie and Jane got divorced. And he was, uh, his world was taken apart. Even as a little boy, he learned about his mother that had given him away. His family, trying to be good to him, sent him off to summer camp every summer for years. While he was at camp, he was, and I know we have younger folks here, but he was abused by a counselor for years, molested. He had issues. He had substance abuse. He had issues in his life. His daddy, Ronnie, would go on to be a state governor. And then, lo and behold, his daddy would become president of the United States. In the sovereignty of God... When his little boy, John Flagger, his name was changed to Michael, Michael Reagan. He's still alive today. He's 73 years old. In the sovereignty of God, when he was a little boy in 1945, baby, and then 48, 49, three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, and things started happening to his life, he questioned his birth mother, he found out about, died in 1985. He was 40 years of age at that time. But in the sovereignty of God, out of the millions and millions of children around the world that had been adopted from this poor Kentucky woman that was never married, he gets adopted into the family of what some people think is the greatest president in the history of the United States, Ronald Reagan's home. He loves his deceased daddy, as a matter of fact. He says so on over 200 radio stations around the world every day. Now, Ronald had another son that was by physical birth. His name is Ronald Jr. Even 25 years ago, Ron Jr. would stand up in conventions and stand up and, 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 and uh, deface his own father and his belief system of his dad. It's amazing that his own flesh and blood has bad things and has even impugned his dad's character now that he's been dead for many years. But his adopted son has nothing but good to say about his father. Think about that. To be adopted, though, into a family and become adopted, and how many here can say that you're a son of the president? Nobody can say that. 
But when John Flager, i.e. Michael Reagan, was 40 years of age in 1985, his birth mother died. And you can read it in his book, which I've read, Twice Adopted. He bowed his head and asked Jesus Christ to come into his heart. He was adopted into the family of God. But as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The second birth is a birth of adoption, whereby we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior as he comes and calls us. And we come unto him and are saved, not by our will, but by his will. The sovereignty of God is an amazing thing. And so the scriptures say, I want you to notice it once more and we summarize, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Think about it. Here's the truth to know. Because of my adoption in Christ, God sees me as his perfect princely son. Perfect. Now, I don't feel perfect a lot of times. In fact, I know better. Now, I, sometimes I fall so far short of the mark. And if you're an honest Christian, you can say, I do too, preacher. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. And yet Satan stands before the throne of God night and day, and he casts guilt and the, the, he accuses us before the brethren night and day and before God night and day. And we buy into that. We're no good. We've fallen. We're sinned. But I want you to know that when God looks at his children, the verse is true. As he is, present tense, so are we. You see, this perfect princely son is in the here and now. We are already God's sons. We're just waiting for the adoption to wit that is the redemption of our body. We are already joint heirs of Jesus Christ. We're already accepted in the beloved. We're already seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right now, we are, here and now, his sons. And so as he is, all present tense, follow the three fill-in-the-blank words one more time. As he is presently, so are we now in not the world to come, but in this world right now. We are no wonder Romans says what it says, more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, I took 40 minutes, and I end with this here. If you don't understand what I've said, I'm not trying to be funny, join the crowd. Because <laughs> humanly speaking, this is a mind blower. This love that passes understanding translates to a truth that passes understanding. As he is, so are we in this world. I may not feel like it all the time, but I am God's son. He loves me, and I'm a prince. I've been adopted into his family. And when Michael Reagan got adopted into God's family, it was 10,000 times more important than being adopted into Ronald Reagan's family. God's a good God. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, help us understand the adoption of sons. Just in at least a glimpse of it, help us to scratch the tip of the proverbial iceberg of its truth. As you are, so, shall we, so are we in this world right now. Lord, thank you for this wonderful truth. Thank you that 
you love us with an unconditional, everlasting love. Lord, help us to love you. The question is not, do you love us? The question is, how much do we love you? I pray for Christians this morning, Father. All we pray, our prayer, our heart's prayer this morning is more love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. Do a work of grace in the last moments together. In our invitation time, I pray, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand, page 90, if you would please, in the hymn book. Page 90.